Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to the PeteCallanerShow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. See, I, I was just going to give the phone number again. I just, I can't, it's just, it's habit, you know? I give the phone number, but then, okay. Fix at AT&T. By the way, if you know anybody at AT&T or you work at AT&T and you are able to fix this problem for us, I would be eternally grateful. I would give you a shout out on the air. I'm a giver. Apparently, it's like, it's, it's simply checking a box in a program because I asked. It's not on our end. It's literally a box on a program that they have to check. And then that allows the rollovers on the phone lines to occur. And without checking the box, the rollovers don't happen. And so this is the problem that was identified. Same problem with our sister station, WFNZ. And when they finally got somebody that knew what they were doing, that checked the box. Literally, that's it. Check the box. And then the problem was fixed. So that's why we know what the problem is. But we can't, we can't get anybody that apparently knows how to turn on a computer or get into this program that they have to check the box. Yeah, I mean, they're not exactly, you know, bathing in expertise here. Uh, like, I, I, don't, I don't know any more than that. I've told you all I know. All I know is that I got one phone line and it's broken. But it's 704-570-1110. So if you would like to call in, you can. And then what I'm telling everybody now is if you call and you just get a busy signal, just call AT&T and tell them, hey, I'm trying to call WBT, but you won't let their phones roll over. Can you check the box in your program? Thanks. Um, oh, I almost forgot. We have an update. Breaking news. We have an update. Breaking news. This is... That's right. It's Jamal Fire Alarm Bowman. He got charged for pulling the fire alarm. But don't worry. He also cut a deal. And he'll have to pay $1,000. And then it'll be wiped off his record. Yeah, it totally worked out for him. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, it's like, wow. Who would have ever guessed that a member of Congress, a Democrat in D.C., would get a sweetheart deal like that and be able to skate on some of the very charges that people are still in jail over. Um, why isn't he being charged with felony obstruction of Congress? By the way, have you seen the video? Oh, yeah. After he got, after he got the deal, then they released the full video. Because remember, we had the still shots. Remember that? There were some still shots of him... At the door. All right, let me uh, recap here. Jamal Bowman, Democrat Socialist of America candidate, Democrat uh, out of New York. Um, he pulled the fire alarm in the Cannon House office building, which is where the members of Congress have their offices next to the Capitol. And he did this while the Democrats were trying to delay a vote on the budget. And he said, 
This was his defense was, I'm an idiot. That was his defense. I'm stupid. I can't read. I don't know what a fire alarm looks like. I don't know what the words fire alarm mean when I see it on the wall. And, uh, and I thought that that was the way to open the door. Because everybody knows doorknobs look exactly like fire alarms located on a different wall. We all know this, right? And especially a former school principal that Bowman was, he too would especially be keenly aware of the fire alarm, marked fire alarm on a different wall being the way that you open a door, right? So, And we had some still shots taken from the security camera. Obviously, that's all we had. But as soon as the, uh, the, the plea deal was struck, then we get the video. Now it's released. I'm sure it was to maintain the investigative sanctity, right? To make sure, no, there was no any kind of influence going on. God forbid we all see the video, the full video, before he gets his sweetheart deal. Because when you look at the video, it's quite obvious that his defense of, I'm stupid, I'm an idiot, I don't know how fire alarms or door handles work, um, that falls apart. Because when you watch the video, he walks up to the door. Now, remember, he said he was trying to get over to the Capitol so he could vote. He was, he was trying to rush over to vote. Not trying to delay the vote, because that would be obstruction. And that would be what the J6, a lot of the J6ers were charged with. Right? So he goes up to the door. And it's all, you can watch the video. He goes up to the door, and it's one of the push bar, you know, you on the on it's like a double door, and there's a push bar on each door. And so you push the the bar handle in, and the door opens. But it's an emergency only kind of a thing. And they got signs on the um on the the doors. Each of the doors has a sign. And he said something like, well, you know, sometimes they leave these doors open for us during votes. It's not always locked. But when he approached the door in the video, you can see the door is locked because he reaches over with his right hand and he pushes on the right door bar and nothing happens. He then pushes on the left door bar and nothing happens. And that's when the sign falls over. Now, I see some people saying that he ripped the sign off the door. I don't see that. I see what he did. He puts his hand. I think it's clear. He puts his hand on the door bar, and he pushes it. And as he does that, but he's starting to turn because he knows the doors are locked. So when he hits the first one, nothing happens. He hits the second one. And by the way, he doesn't hit the doors as if he's trying to walk through them. You ever walk up to a door that's usually open usually opens, right, and it's a door. Like, what do you do? When you walk up to one of those bar handle doors, what do you do? You lean on it, right? You're, you're, you walk in, like your momentum is going, and you just stick your arm out, you push it, and then you go through it. So if it doesn't open for you, what happens? You kind of crumple a little bit, right, as you hit the door, you know? That never happens here. He walks up to it, and he just reaches out his hand, and he pushes on it. Almost as if he's not actually interested in walking out the door. Almost as if he's just interested in triggering the alarm. But it doesn't trigger because it's locked. 
So he does the right door handle. He then reaches over and pushes on the left door handle or the bar. And as he's doing that, he starts to turn because he knows this left one is locked before he even tries it because the right one's locked. So he, he goes to the left, and as he puts his hand on that bar handle, he knocks because the sign is just sitting on the bar handle. It's just sitting on the bar. And so when he pushes on the bar, it falls over. And he just ignores it. It hits his hand. It falls to the floor. But he's already turning where he sees the fire alarm. He turns, he pulls the fire alarm, and walks away. He never looks at the doors. Which, if his story were true, that he's an idiot, he doesn't know how fire alarms work, or door handles, or whatever, if he's, if he's pleading stupidity, why wouldn't you look back at the door and try the handles again? If that's how you thought the door would be opened, why wouldn't you go out the door? But he doesn't. It's all super fast. He walks up, one door, next door, fire alarm, walks away. Never looking back at the double door. Never attempting to go out that door. It is crystal clear what he was doing. He walked up to trigger the door alarms, and when they didn't work, he pulled the fire alarm. And he did it to obstruct work in Congress. And that's a felony. But he's a Democrat in D.C. So he doesn't get charged with the felony. No, no, no. No, no, no. He got a misdemeanor offense for pulling a fire alarm. And obviously all the media, the legacy media, to them and their allies uh, in the Democrat Party, they are saying that this is proof that no one's above the law, that Jamal Bowman is facing justice. He's being held accountable. Isn't that fantastic, everybody? Jamal Bowman not charged with the felony obstruction of Congress. No, no, he just got a misdemeanor offense of pulling a fire alarm. Which is more like what he did was more than many of the people that have been charged and convicted for being at the Capitol on January 6th. I'm not talking about people that engaged in violent, riotous behavior. I'm talking about people that just walked in. They, they have greater penalties on their record, jail time and such, than Jamal Bowman got for actually intentionally pulling a fire alarm to evacuate a building so as to delay the vote on the budget. Got an email here from Jason. Pete, there are two signs that Jamal Bowman, is it Jamal or Jamal? There are two A's there. He's actually got three A's in his first name. J-A-M-A-A-L. Three A's, which, I don't know, seems, seems kind of gluttonous. I don't know. Do you, do you need all three of those A's right there? Like, that's, anyway. Um, he's, uh, he goes to the door, he grabs, so there are two signs, they're both leaning on the door bar handles, and he grabs the right one as he tests the door, then he knocks the left one down, he walks away with the first sign. So I, I, I got the video up and I'm watching it again, and you are correct. See, this is, so, this is actually a pretty good, uh, experiment, because 
I remember the photos, the still shots from the security camera. I remember the still shots. And people were debating whether he had a paper in his hand or not. Remember? Because he had something white in his hand, and people thought he had some paper in his hand. But then people were like, oh, that's the sign. And so there was this big debate, but I saw the sign on the door, and I'm like, I don't know, I don't know what they're looking at, whatever. Um, so when I watched the video, I saw in his hand the white sign, but it's the back. The sign is red on the front with white letters, but on the back, it's just white. And I just, like, my brain saw it and saw papers. But now watching it again, here he is. He walks up. Well, first off, he walks around the sign. There's a sign in the, the, the like, a, on a pole, you know, with the big weighted base, and they stick it in front of uh, in front of doors or like at the airport, you know, like TSA line this way, that kind of thing. And so there's a sign about five feet in front of the door too. And he walks around it, and as after, he walks around the sign, goes right for the front door. And he leans up, or he gets close to the door. He takes the sign, and so you can't even you you can't see him. Uh, let me see. Let me back up a second here, and to, to just make sure. Yeah, you you can't see him actually grab the sign because his ba- his body is blocking it because the camera's up above him, so you can't see him take the sign. But that is what he that is what he's doing. He walks up. He takes the sign in his right hand. He's pushing on the door. He pushes on the door handle, and then it looks like he gives. Let me see. It looks like he gives it a kick too. Hang on a second. Yeah, he does. He gives it a kick with his left hand, and then he pushes on the the left door bar. The sign falls over. He then immediately walks over and pulls the fire alarm. Just boom, boom, boom. One, two, three, and that's where now he's got the sign in his hand. Where people were like, "Oh, well, are those papers in his hand or what?" Because when he turns, he's got the sign now in his left hand. But you can't see it's the sign. It just looks like a, a white rectangle, like a piece of paper. But that is the sign because it's there before he walks up. It's a big red sign. It's there before he walks up, and it's gone when he walks away. And the other one's laying on the floor. Old old false alarm Bowman. So wasn't he held accountable by charging him with the misdemeanor? No, says Andy McCarthy. I promise I will get to this now. So I got a message here, actually. Keith, who said, Pete, your phone line works. It rang twice. The show picked up. I heard you fussing about AT&T. Yeah, because they're the reason why we don't have the other seven lines. Uh, I listened for a while. Then Bernie answered. I told him what happened, and it worked. He asked if I wanted to speak to you, and I told him no. But to tell you, it worked. Have a nice weekend. Thank you, Keith. Um, I know that the one line works. It doesn't roll over. That's the problem. The AT&T lines, they, wherever they're, I almost called it their brain, but that's obviously not the case. Whatever, wherever the, the hub is, there's some program that has a box that needs to be checked to allow for the rolling over of the lines. Once, so when you call, it's only recognizing one line and it just terminates. And so if... Keith, you call in and you're on the phone with Bernie talking about how you don't want to talk to me. I don't know why, but like you're, you know, you don't want to talk to me, but you're on the line. If somebody else is calling, they're getting a busy signal. Whereas it should roll over to the next open line. And then Bernie would have to answer that one. That's how, and then it stacks and I have all of the buttons here. I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, and then I got my guest lines. So 
So six lines total. But only one works. See, someone's calling in right now, and Bernie's going to answer it. And now if somebody else calls, they're going to get a busy signal. And if Bernie screens the call and puts this person on hold, nobody else can get through. It'll be busy from ne- until I take the call and then hang up on the caller. Yeah, it's just it's just awful. And all it is is a button that apparently needs to be pressed a, 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 or a box that needs to be checked at, for, in AT&T. And they can't find a single human being, apparently, that knows how to do this because we went through the very same thing with our sister station, WFNZ. And they finally figured it out. They finally fixed it. And then ours, then it it happened to us. Maybe it's like a toggle switch. Maybe it's a toggle switch. And so when they pressed it for WFNZ, it turned ours off. Maybe that's what happened. So if if they switch ours on, maybe it turns their numbers off again. I don't know. Um, all right, so Andy McCarthy, Andrew McCarthy, former federal prosecutor, writing at National Review. He's uh, talking about this uh, Jamal false alarm Bowman. He's, uh, yes, Bowman's a congressman from uh, New York. He pulled that fire alarm uh, in order to evacuate the Cannon House office building, and he claims, no, no, he didn't do it for that reason, even though Democrats were trying to delay a vote at the time. At that moment, they were trying to delay a vote. And so he pulls the fire alarm, it clears the building, so now they don't have, they can't vote. Um, but that wasn't why he did it. No, no, he's just stupid and doesn't know how fire alarms work. He thought the fire alarm would open the door. But now, uh, and so he got charged. Misdemeanor offense of pulling a fire alarm. And this sort of accountability, quote unquote, will come as a surprise to hundreds of people, including former President Donald Trump whom the Biden Justice Department and, in Trump's case, the Biden DOJ-appointed special counsel Jack Smith, have aggressively charged with obstructing Congress in connection with the Capitol riot, the uprising that interrupted the joint January 6th, 2020 session held to ratify now President Biden's victory in the presidential election. Obviously, some of the rioters were violent, but many of them were not. In the main, they were loitering in a place they weren't lawfully permitted to be, many of them doing so only after members of Congress and Vice President Pence had already left the building. Trump, of course, was not among the rioters, much as he is rightly blamed for stoking them. Yet Smith has charged him with felony obstruction based on his effort to delay the joint session by relying on a bogus legal theory, namely that the vice president could invalidate electoral votes or at least remand them to the states. Um, He goes on to say over a thousand people have now been prosecuted. The majority of these offenders are nonviolent protesters. They were nonviolent protesters who would never have been charged by the Justice Department under normal circumstances. For political reasons, Democrats were determined to make an example of them running up the prosecution numbers in order to promote a domestic terrorism narrative. Defendants from all over the country were hunted down by the FBI, dragged back to Washington, D.C. to face, uh, often to face mere misdemeanor charges, including one defendant from New Mexico, whom Justice Department prosecutors knew had been waved into the Capitol by police. The police waved him in. Come on in. And so he went in. He was acquitted, by the way. Bowman's conduct was willful and consequential. 
And now we see the video after he, he gets his plea agreement, of course. By the Biden Justice Department's J6 standards, Bowman should be looking at a felony prosecution. So why is he being prosecuted at all? To protect him. What? That doesn't make any sense. I hear you cry. Bowman's crime is subject to the five-year federal statute of limitations. If Republicans were to somehow get out of their own way and, and win in 2024, a new Justice Department might look to charge him. He's got a five-year statute of limitations on this, right? And maybe they would treat him like a J6 defendant. So you charge him with the misdemeanor, and that gives him double jeopardy protection. It's cost-free for him. He's, he pays a $1,000 fine, but he will not uh, uh, spend any time in jail. The maximum sentence for the misdemeanor is six months, but he's going to be spared of all that. It has been agreed that if he pays the fine and apologizes to the Capitol Police, the charges against him will be withdrawn in three months. But it still counts as a prosecution. Now, this is a local charge, not a federal charge. So he goes through the legal differences in all of this. Um, The Justice Department cannot be blocked from indicting a defendant who has already been prosecuted for the same offense by state authorities, right? So the Justice Department, if I get charged in this state with something, the Justice Department can also charge me Same for the same thing. That's not double jeopardy. That's, that's two different you know, government agencies that are looking at whatever crime I committed, and they are allegedly, and they are, they're like, okay, yeah, we, you know, he violated this federal law too. So, and you see this all the time when people violate multiple laws in some particularly heinous act, uh, and you know they were like, okay, well, we can prosecute him after you prosecute him and all of this. But Washington, D.C. is not a state. District of Columbia, it's under the jurisdiction of the federal government. A federal prosecution by the Biden Justice Department was never going to happen. Bowman would have had to argue that the relevant federal obstruction statute does not apply to his, uh, to his conduct because although it was corrupt and it did impede congressional proceedings, he did not tamper with evidence or witnesses. That would have been his argument if it were federal charges. He would have had to have made that argument that, okay, yes, I did this thing, but it, was, uh, it wasn't uh, evidence or witness uh, tampering. There was nothing like that involved, like in obstruction of Congress. And that is exactly the argument that the J6 defendants are making. Exact same. So he would have had to have made that same argument. And that, that cannot occur. Because the standard would be he goes to prison. He's convicted. Right? Because the, the Biden DOJ has been arguing against the J6 argument on that very same matter. Hey, so real quick, hurricane season is here, and this is your reminder to check your emergency supplies. You should have a three-day supply of food, water, and medicines, minimum. And Carolina Readiness Supply can help you get started or expand your supply, food, water purifiers, lighting, 
tools, first aid kits, instructional materials, camping and hiking supplies too, because being prepared is just smart. Carolina Readiness Supply has 2,000 square feet of supplies and educational materials that you can use for any kind of emergency. Whether you're an experienced prepper or you have no clue what you're doing, or maybe you're somewhere in between, Carolina Readiness Supply can help you. In Waynesville and always at carolinareadiness.com. Veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply. Will you be ready when the lights go out? I got a message here. You mentioned the Bowman... Hang on. Oh, you mentioned the Bowman takes. There were the reactions uh, to the Jamal Bowman... uh, Skating on a felony, basically. He, he doesn't get charged with the felony that all the J6ers got charged with when he did the same thing. Um, I mean, they didn't pull a fire alarm. I mean, they obviously there were violent ones that were in there and hold them accountable, absolutely. But for the people that like walked in and were just like loitering around, no. They they should get they should have gotten the same treatment that Jamal Bowman got, or he should get the same that they got. That's equality under the law, right? So people are saying, oh, see, everyone is held accountable. Bowman's held accountable. That's one of the responses. Uh, Russ says, I also see several people saying that, uh, see, it wasn't anything like January 6th. If it was, he would have faced harsher consequences. Really? People are saying that? That's ridiculous. Testimony from more than a dozen current or former government officials who specialize in terrorism told Newsweek that there's an increase in the increase in targeting of Trump voters was born out of the FBI's decision to lump Trump supporters into its expanded definition of domestic extremism. FBI data reviewed by Newsweek indicates nearly two-thirds of the FBI's current investigations center on Trump supporters accused of disregarding anti-riot laws. FBI data says that spikes in domestic violent extremism and domestic terrorism investigations in 2020 and 2021 show clearly that the main targets of the investigations and cases open were of Trump supporters. This is what they have been focusing on. Why? The FBI denies targeting Americans based on ideology, but days after the events of J6, the agency broadened its anti-government or anti-authority violent extremists other category. It's a classification. It's called AGAVE, A-G-A-A-V-E, anti-government, anti-authority violent extremists dash other. So they brought in that classification so they could jumpstart investigations into Americans based on their political affiliations. The shift received hardly any attention that emboldened the FBI in October of 22 to create a whole new terrorism category devoted to monitoring anybody the agency deemed an anti-government domestic violent extremist with seemingly adverse political affiliations. Trump and his famous slogan, Make America Great, were not officially assigned to this category on paper or in the FBI's joint report to Congress. But Newsweek noted that, quote, government insiders acknowledge that it applies to political violence ascribed to the former president's supporters. One unnamed senior intelligence official told Newsweek that he believed Trump's army constitutes the greatest threat of violence domestically, politically, 
that uh, and that's the reality and the problem set. End quote. Biden tried to demonize half the country ahead of the November 22 midterm elections by accusing, quote, MAGA Republicans of being a, quote, threat to the very soul of this country. This screed was one of the many public confirmations his administration gave to his allies at the DOJ and FBI to keep persecuting their political foes. Under Biden's rule, the FBI launched attacks on concerned parents. They raided a pastor's home. They refused to protect Republican-nominated Supreme Court justices from coordinated influence campaigns designed to undermine the Dobbs decision, the ruling. And they attempted to punish Republican states for protecting kids, including uh, the unborn. Why? Why would you do all of these things, right? I mean, yes, the political nature of it, but what's the point here? It's to focus focus the resources on creating this narrative that there are all these domestic uh, terrorists on the loose. They're all Republicans, all these Trumpers. They're all domestic terrorists. They're all violent extremists. And then you cite the data because you've opened up all these investigations. Then you cite all of the open cases, that data, as the reason why, well, yes, the FBI, we need more money, we need more agents or whatever, but you cite all of the data in order to promote a narrative that that's where the real threat is. It's an othering. It's it's to dissuade people from then aligning with domestic terrorists, as deemed so by GovCo, right? That's that's obviously the play. And now, where are all of the media outlets? Oh, well, you know, legacy media is... In lockstep, the people who claim that, quote, democracy dies in darkness, you think they might care about this. You think they might you you would think that they would care if the government is creating broad categories, classifications and putting people of a particular political affiliation into them. I'm concerned. I don't know why it seems like somebody could do a couple stories on that and I don't know, maybe win some awards. Find out who they've been targeting. Are they really violent extremists dash other? Are they really? Or is it simply about puffing up the numbers in order to justify the political attacks? Up next, we'll talk to Congressman Patrick McHenry. Stick around. (laughs) 